Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Underground. So today, we've got a sort of random podcast on some just general thoughts, observations, and opinions surrounding this Minneapolis situation and the Chauvin trial and the outcome from it and all that stuff. So we wanted to make a podcast about this today because, well, for one, we've been getting a decent amount of DMs and questions and comments about it, uh, but also because I think that the main sort of lessons that we learned and the, and the key takeaways from us uh, from the trial are not necessarily what most people seem to be concluding. So we've got some sort of unique thoughts on the situation and we thought we would share them today. Um, so jumping right into it, as far as thoughts on the trial, um, I hate to disappoint, um, but we do get a lot of questions or have over the past 24 hours or so uh, gotten a lot of questions asking us what we think of the situation and at least for me, I'd don't really have that many thoughts worth sharing on the trial itself other than I think that based on the whirlwind of violence and outright false information from all sides that sort of spun out of control last summer, I think that it was always going to be impossible for him to have a quote-unquote fair trial, if you want to call it that. So there's that. None of us here were on that jury, and I really didn't follow the case myself personally, uh, so I don't have an opinion on whether or not Chauvin was guilty or, or not guilty, but what is completely unacceptable and what we can plainly see from the outside is the external influence in this case, and not just for Chauvin, but for other cases as well. Politicians up to and including the President of the United States tried to intimidate and influence this trial since the moment that Chauvin was first charged last year. And then, during the freaking jury deliberations, the President of the United States couldn't hold his wad and had to make a statement that pretty much guarantees that not only will Chauvin easily get an appeal, but will almost certainly win it in a few years when the mob isn't watching anymore. And then you have other politicians saying that even though he was found guilty on all counts, somehow that's not good enough, and like he should be extra guilty or something. But this we knew. The mob, which is increasingly including senior federal governmental officials and agencies, a very important thing to make note of. The mob would not have been satisfied unless they could have dragged him out of the court and killed him in the street. Anything less than that and the mob would be less dissatisfied, as they currently are now. But we'll come back to that in a minute. What we expect to see moving forward is quite wide-ranging, but in classic totalitarian fashion, I would expect federal agencies to target Minneapolis Police Department and other law enforcement officials in the area. The federal regime is really all about kicking someone when they are down. Whether it's impeaching a man who is no longer president, or it's increasing troop deployments after the manufactured threat is over anyway. The executive branch and the majority of Congress and the Supreme Court are all about total control now. It's not enough that the mob got what they wanted. They have to continue to beat the dead horse. So we will fully expect the DOJ to investigate, in heavy air quotes, the Minneapolis Police Department and probably withdraw their federal funding, to be honest. Like we mentioned last year, the mob is doing everything they possibly can to make sure that not a single reasonable and rational person remains on the police force, not just in Minneapolis, but anywhere. They have completely eliminated any chance they had at a peaceful solution. And now that the federal government has picked a side, 
or at least feels the need to be two-faced and pick a side while being protected by the police, the concept of mob rule will continue to grow, at least up until the point that that rage gets turned onto the federal regime or until the mob outlives its usefulness to the regime. That's when things will make a sharp turn. As far as the actual tracking situation and the sort of uh, situation post-verdict in Minneapolis specifically, I will be the first to admit that we missed the mark on that one. We were fully expecting that the immense amount of funding and the extremely high political interventions would have resulted in rioting no matter what the verdict was. Especially considering that BLM slash Antifa spent a lot of money on signs that encouraged rioting despite the verdict. But for the most part, the mob spent the evening celebrating and partying in the streets last night. But we've got to be aware that this doesn't mean that there won't be riots in Minneapolis over the next few days or moving into the future. Every liberal politician, up to and including the president, has done everything they possibly can to convey that they are giving the green light for rioting to occur as long as it doesn't personally affect them. The only way that I can see this approval getting any clearer is if they came out and openly encouraged people to riot, as several congresswomen have already done. So once this idea sinks in, we'll see rioting and looting again. I should also note that I think that last night we underestimated the impact of the weather. Uh, even prior to the verdict being read there, there weren't that many people in the street, certainly not as many as we were expecting, which is probably due to the chilly temperature or other factors and atmospherics that we can't know because we weren't there. And as far as lessons learned, um, for me, there are several key takeaways from this event. And unfortunately, none of them are particularly positive. And in true as to underground fashion, the lessons that we learn are not particularly about the event itself. Like I said, personally, I don't really care about the trial itself. It has been sensationalized all year by every single group out there to make their political point, by left and right alike. So I'm not even going to go down the road on George Floyd or Derek Chauvin or the case itself. It's pointless to muse on these sort of things now. What is alarming to me is that the remarks made by politicians in a direct attempt to incite violence and threaten, intimidate and bully the jury shows that our entire system of checks and balances is hanging on by a thread if it hasn't already been completely obliterated yet. Anyone who has been familiar with our justice systems in this country know that the entire system is broken from the ground up. The court of public opinion is now the actual court, and not in a jury-of-your-peers sort of way, but in a kangaroo court kind of way. And the Chauvin trial aside, this is a huge problem, and has serious implications for the way that we move forward in trying to fix the problems in our world. Politicians bullying and outright influencing court decisions is never a good thing, but more importantly, it's a hallmark of a collapsing governmental system. When Maxine Waters can get a police escort to the middle of a crowd and encourage rioting if they don't get their way, and not have anything happen to her, that's not good. Like, it would have been a less bad of a situation if she had said what she said, and Congress came back and censured her, or removed her from important committees, which is a big one, or powerful players in her home district made her sweat a little bit with, you know, political donations, that would have made a difference. Um, that might have checked and balanced her extremist rhetoric. 
But no, not only was nothing done, but the motion to censure her has failed, like it was a futile effort anyway. So you have a career politician that can endorse a riot and get rewarded for it because there is absolutely zero opposition in Congress, no matter what feeble attempt congressional Republicans put up. There really isn't any strong opposition in anything that matters. In the executive branch, well, the executive branch of government is doing everything it can to encourage division so that hundreds of thousands of troops can be deployed to make the nation look like Washington, D.C. does right now. But I guess at the end of the day, the frustrating thing for us is the absolute barren land that is the field of critical thinking. And this is probably where we're going to lose a lot of people if we haven't already. Like we all have said many times before, we can only rephrase the same idea so many times before we have to start raising our voice in an attempt to help people understand our point of view. It's okay if people disagree, like I think that gets misconstrued a lot of times, but it seems like a lot of the times people aren't quite picking up what we're putting down. So if this comes off as a rant, I'm sorry, but it's something that we think is a serious topic that we have to fix, like right now. The biggest problems that we face right now aren't a totalitarian government, or a tyrannical Congress, or a kangaroo Supreme Court. These problems are definitely a sign of a troubled state, that's true, but they are nothing compared to the fight amongst ourselves, the citizens of this great nation. Every single day, we have to talk someone down from a ledge, which is perfectly fine. If that's what we're meant to do, that's what we're meant to do. Um, and people are really scared and angry right now. And even people that were reasonable, rational people last year, right now are fuming at what's happening around the nation. And we get it. All of us really do. We wouldn't even be here at the S2 Underground if we didn't feel like it was our duty to step up and contribute to the betterment of our nation. However, we have really got to get smart. This is really killing us here. Like, whenever we scroll around the internet and find people screaming about this or about that or about tyranny or authoritarianism or whatever, my first thought is... If you really believed that our government is so evil, or that the mob is so evil, you would shut up and realize that screaming about it is only making yourself a target. Like all of the Boogaloo Boys that are somehow still out there going to protests and whatnot, let me say this, if you still wholeheartedly and openly support that movement, that tells me that you do not fully understand the severity of the situation and that I cannot trust you with anything significant because you're not ready to play with the big boys. It was fine when it was just a meme or a, a loose sort of political statement. That's, that's fine. But right now, if you go to a protest with the Hawaiian shirt gang after everything that's happened, I'm not going to go out of my way to risk my neck for someone who is assuming an unacceptable amount of risk, not to mention being more of a liability than an asset. If you cannot take care of yourself and realize that your emotional outburst now limits your options later when things get really bad, this shows me that you care more about an emotional response than a strategic one. Hell, even on our own platforms, we occasionally see people foaming at the mouth, filled with rage for the situation that we're faced with. But here's the thing. If a person cannot control their temper online, where everything is logged and nothing is secure, that signals to us that, again, this person is playing t-ball when we need to be playing at a World Series level if we are to ever have a chance at fixing the problems we are faced with. And for us, this kind of stuff gets disheartening really quickly because we see the data. Like, we hop on social media and make a post on, like, Instagram or something that kind of, sort of, points the finger at liberals, 
and we get hundreds of likes and dozens of comments. But when we post something like a tutorial, giving people the keys to the castle and tools for success, it's crickets. And yeah, I get it, it's a lot easier to tap like than it is to actually watch a video or listen to a podcast. The point is, it's not going to be the flashy stuff that gets us out of this mess, it's going to be the boring stuff. I know I keep harping on this one, I realize, I feel like I say it more often than not, but everyone loves to strap on a plate carrier or watch a dozen videos on YouTube before they pick out the right one and try to color match pouches and create an aesthetic with a vintage camo or something, which is perfectly fine. Like, I do that stuff myself. But it seems like a lot of people put far less effort into the actual plates inside the carrier. It's almost comical. And the same goes for information in our world as well. A lot of people seem to be obsessed with guerrilla warfare. Like the instant civil unrest kicks off, they're going to go all Red Dawn or Rambo in the woods. We get so many questions about that. Everyone wants to read books about how to build IEDs, but no one seems particularly interested in reading about how Ho Chi Minh came to power. Everyone seems to be all too interested in stuff like the World War II resistance movement in Yugoslavia, which is widely considered to be one of the most effective resistance movements during the war, with the partisans beating the Nazis and running them out of their homeland and becoming a free society. Until a resistance leader called Tito decided that this freedom stuff is for the birds, and now that the Nazis are out, we need this thing called communism. Yes, that's right. People are all too happy to look at the somewhat romanticized parts of resistance, but very quick to overlook one of the longest-lasting dictatorships that somehow people still really don't know about because it isn't romantic. We focus on things like the French resistance, and daring raids or spies dropped by parachute into hostile territory, or the special operations executive or the American Office of Strategic Services, airdropping supplies to rebels in the hills. But we completely gloss over the fact that the SOE was almost completely shut down because French rebel groups kept using the airdropped weapons to kill other rebels instead of the occupying Nazis. The tragic and morbidly comical reality of the time was that the overwhelming majority of secret squirrels and case officers during World War II were simply trying to keep their guerrilla forces from killing each other. The unfortunate truth is that in the majority of cases, James Bond did not have a license to kill so much as an accounting degree. Now granted, the latter part of the 20th century was the birth of modern intelligence operations, and as such we should absolutely study these things. And the fact that a lot of this history is fascinating and exhilarating to read just makes it all the more enjoyable to learn. But we cannot get our priorities crossed. From real-life operatives like T. Lawrence and Nancy Wake to Christopher Lee and Fitzroy McLean, the cool stuff more often than not took a back seat to just trying to make sure their forces didn't kill each other. Which is a sentiment that we are starting to see in the information world today. Americans love an underdog story because it's the story of us. But we have to learn from the mistakes of the past. And if we do not even know the past, we have no hope for changing the future. But to those that are left, oh, we see you. Despite all of this ranting and all of our sometimes contradictory but constantly changing thoughts on things, the actions of the lurker do not go unnoticed by us. We see the random blog poster, or the retail cashier, or the Instagram memer, or the neighbor, or the YouTube creator that isn't really saying much on the surface, but is casually making moves of their own. Or the unknown peeps on the internet that are somehow still causing the billionaires of the world to lose a lot of money. Or the people that are engaging a little bit of economic warfare of their own by choosing what they buy. So for those of you out there who hear us and are doing the same stuff that we're doing, know that you're not alone. 
And to those of you that have gotten into a place and taken enough precautions that you feel safe in engaging or teaching or even just talking about these issues, we really appreciate it a lot especially if these interactions take place in the real world where it can have the most impact. And with that, let's continue to do good things. Currently, there has never been a harder time to make friends in the world, but right now, friends have never been more crucial. So with that, we will see you guys next time. Always remember to stay safe, make good decisions, and fight in the shade.